Welcome everyone to the Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. I am very beautiful. The Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek for Eternals is brought to you by Saliva Beer. I thought you liked it. Yum, Pete. Here we are diving into uh, the last Marvel release from 2021 that we are covering, though it did come out uh, in theaters November 5th, 2021, and having just hit Disney Plus in the last week, I suspect, uh, particularly given some of the numbers we're going to talk about in a moment, uh, I suspect seeing it on Disney Plus is how uh, many people have experienced it. Um, This, uh, again, the fourth movie from 2021 that uh, Marvel released, uh, and also the likely the reason why marvel has been boxed out of the uh chinese box office this year uh due to china not being cool with chloe zhao being pro you know democracy and free speech and stuff like that um but here we are today pete to to dive on into this latest chloe zhao flick this something they decided to i think history will both immediately and in the long term reflect only release in a theater, Matt, at a time when the Omicron variant had not yet wreaked havoc. Um, and I think the numbers speak in terms of demand. We've watched it on Disney+. Plus. We did not go to a movie theater to this. And here's how the Eternals uh, box office uh, again, as you said, Pete, it was exclusively released uh, in in theaters, no side-by-side thing. But Pete, let's get down to box office numbers here. So bottom line being uh, that Eternals did uh, $164 million in the U.S. and $401 million worldwide. Okay, fine. The COVID asterisk. Here's the thing, though, Pete. Shang-Chi that came out two months prior um did 224 million dollars domestic and 432 million worldwide um and then with more of a covid asterisk supposedly is uh is spider-man no way home that now has done 1.6 billion dollars so i think there's a certain i mean that is one way to measure uh audiences were not thrilled about this movie Um, It's the first Marvel movie to have to go as low as a B for a cinema score um, rating. Again, I don't think not. I don't think those are two ways to uh, measure that audiences were not gaga over this movie. I think given where they slotted it and, you know, longstanding belief, this seems to have been what they pivoted to after Inhumans went from a theatrical release to then, oh, we're going to do it under the then Marvel TV banner, but we're going to release it in IMAX. And, you know, Matt and I were, I think, the fifth and sixth people in the theater for that debut. And then, all right, we we get to Eternals down the bench here. Um I think a lot of it is is set up for down the road. We're going to discuss what this all turns into. Uh, side note, Matt, you know, as we await the Moon Knight trailer uh, with a possible 
debut date tonight during the Monday night football playoff game. Um, you know, the, the connections that may be coming out of this, um, you know, for this universe, but all right. So Eternals has hit your Disney plus and now you've checked it out and, uh, maybe you'll ever get back to it again. When we catch you up on what went down 5,000 BC Mesopotamia. Indeed, Pete, we have the Eternals uh, arriving on earth and it's the beginning of what this plot has to achieve, whether it achieves it successfully or not. I guess we will discuss as things unfold. But this notion that these characters are super long-lived and have super ancient histories to them and thousands of years of story that we are going to get you caught up on real quick by way of flashbacks and intercutting and, oh, also do a concurrent story. Oh, and also insert these characters into our understanding of recent MCU events, i.e. Thanos and so forth. Um but Pete, can you do a an Eternals roll call for us? When they show up here in their spaceship, the Domo, and showcase their abilities, we've got Ajak, Selma Hayek, the Prime Eternal, who can heal herself, super healing. Of course, we've got uh, Thena, Angelina Jolie's character, with her super strength and her weapons that she can make out of gold strands or something we've got uh icarus uh played by richard madden who can fly and fire lasers out of his eyes essentially he's a great superman by the way superman (laughs) uh Gemma chan her second uh role in the marvel cinematic universe of course after being in captain marvel uh as circe who is capable of transmutation uh, we've got uh, Kingo, uh, played by Kumal Nanjiani, with the hand lasers there. Uh, Makari, played by uh, Lauren Ridloff of The Walking Dead, um, who's got her speed, her super speed there. And, of course, the actress and the character, uh, Def. Uh, we've got Fastos played by uh, Brian Tyree Henry um, with his ability to manipulate technology. Uh, Sprite, uh, that's Leah McHugh's character, of course, with her ability to create illusions. Uh, Gilgamesh, that's Ma Dong Siok uh, with super strength. Uh, Druig played by uh, Barry Kyogon, um, most notably of uh, Chernobyl, uh, with telepathy, uh, round out the team there. So, you know, a, a big group, 10 heroes here. I mean, one of the arguments with this film is, you know, you, you took five movies to get to Avengers here. Everybody's introduced all at once. They have a lot to do. And yes, you know, when they show up on Earth at the beginning of this 7,000-year sprawling two-and-a-half-hour story, 
um, the the demand is okay. Show what they can do and and help us understand who they are. So as you go through this list, obviously this is a beautiful representation of humanity. Uh, all this diversity, clearly a concerted effort here on Marvel's part. Uh, add to it, you know, Chloe Zhao's background and so forth. I think here's the thing, though: diversity does not a compelling movie make uh it's story 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 um before i saw this movie i had heard it it told the Gemma chan a fantastic capable lovely talented actress uh has no um chemistry with richard madden himself a talented beautiful uh charming talented actor I would agree they don't have chemistry together, which is weird because their characters are supposed to, um, you know, have chemistry between them. So it's it's an early example, I think. I, I'm certainly not saying, oh, they uh, the problem is too much diversity. But I think that when you want to get a Richard Madden and you want to get a Gemma Chan um, and so forth, maybe you miss out on... I don't know. You miss out on um, <laughs> people who have convincing chemistry. I don't know what it takes, Pete, as a casting director or a uh, you know a film director, producer, and so forth. I don't know what that it factor is, but I know we've all seen it. We've all seen it in many, many movies and TV shows and stage productions and so forth where you just go, I believe that these two people are deeply in love, um, even when sometimes you know, they're not in real life. Sometimes we know, you know, they just bitterly fought, but there's that magic thing called chemistry. Um, but here in this giant cast where, as you said, Pete, there's only so much time reasonably that you can give to each person. Two and a half hours is probably the max that you can go. Fine, Endgame is three hours. Yes, after spending 10 years with these characters, you can ask an audience to sit put with no... Um, you know, with with no break for three hours. Um, Pete, I still don't feel like I know all these characters very well. And that's a continuing feeling I had throughout the movie is like, I really like Kumail Nanjiani. And he, he's, he's you know, we all know the story. He got super bulked up for this and he's, <laughs> he's funny and so on and so forth. Well, what's his thing again? It's been 25 minutes since she, since, since he shot uh, hand lasers. What's his power again? Oh, I guess it's the, Right, it's the power of hand laser. There's just a whole lot going on here. I think the film bites off more than it can chew, to to put it concisely. Um, there are great moments, but the idea of stretching it out so long, so far, and then the idea that you know we have to meet each of them and reunite i mean we're still almost 90 minutes in and not reunified the team um and then obviously the betrayal that that needs to take place and everything else it's just it's so so much that they're they're trying to do and we know that they're going to return and you know we know how much of the marvel cinematic universe is done with an eye for what comes next but that's what i couldn't help but think about during the narrative of this story that you know so little of it seems invested in the characters 
for now rather than how does this serve to move the universe's story forward well i pete i don't mean to repeat what i think was a very wise comment that i had for the hawkeye podcast but there are shades in this movie of this movie is a prequel to the story that comes next not this movie is unto itself while yes moving other things forward in the in the universe um and i think that you know iron man 2 thor 2 both come to mind as we gotta do stuff in this movie to advance and the things that we do are in service of the advancement here's the thing though iron man 2 i can go back particularly in a post end game slash black widow uh mindset and say oh look it's the introduction of the character uh introduction of black widow and oh there's all these things that they really are just beginning but i now know the entire arc of them am i going to go back in five ten years time and watch this movie and say ah yes i really really do now i appreciate 575 bc in babylon that really has new meaning to it um i suspect i won't and while watching that scene or some of the other flashback scenes, you know, it just felt like tic-tac-toe in terms of getting the story to where it needs to go, not this organic in the moment kind of thing, which is the best version of storytelling. When we switch to the present day and then are able to go back and look at these moments throughout history that they've been at yet not interfered with because that was the whole thing where were they when thanos attacked and why wouldn't they intervene okay so it's not what they do and then to find out that really their whole purpose has been kept from them um uh, again perhaps there would have been another way to cast the narrative um so i don't know that it's on the directing end Matt, although the director gets two writing credits uh but you know present day london we add uh kit harrington's dane whitman here who figures large towards the end of this film and might even be involved in moon knight possibly um you know add him here uh, another member of the stark family um and then we pepper in some more flashbacks uh both as you mentioned before in uh 575 uh bc in in babylon where they wind up you know settling uh the domo something that later on when it's uh iraq uh winds up being both base and you know transport and then to 400 AD in the Gupta Empire, where, you know, now we're like 30, 40 minutes into the movie. And as you mentioned before, we're not particularly feeling the chemistry. So these characters get married. But later on, Dane Whitman is with Circe and there's never any understanding that there was some kind of divorce or that that marriage is nullified couple of thoughts first in response to your comment that chloe Zhao gets two screenwriting credits some explanation for the listener so the writers guild recognizes writing teams and writing solo of course and 
also the Writers Guild can evaluate, I guess, Pete, a final draft or a shooting draft or the final movie or whatever to, to go back. I, I don't know that this movie required arbitration. Let me just say that up front. So I will say, Pete, what's another word for arbitrate that's a little less pointed? Mediate? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, writer, the Writers Guild, let alone maybe just writers internally, can mediate and figure out in the movie that we ended up making where is credit deserved. I know that in the last six months, the different posters for Eternals, the writing credit changed. Uh, and that's not to say that that's either good, you know, that's neither good nor bad. That is what it is. The way the the the, the writing is now credited is Chloe Zhao solo and the writing team of Chloe Zhao and Patrick Burley and the writing uh, team of Ryan Furpo and Kaz Furpo, uh, the Furpos being the original writers hired. So, Pete, generally speaking, me just as, you know, moviegoer, the more writers I see and the more confusion I see for writing, to me that tends to suggest that it's the opposite of Shakespeare and love, where Shakespeare sits there with a with a quill and writes it and kind of furrows his brow, and then time goes by and it's a solo script. Now, solo scripts don't need, you know, that's not necessarily good or bad. Like I said, I do remember going to see um, Moana, which I think has nine writers and going, yeah, that's why maybe this was not like Beauty and the Beast because he had so many writers in there fixing problems and fixing fixes of problems and fixing fixing fixes and so forth. So that, that's why Chloe Zhao has two writing credits, whether that's good or bad. I would say, Pete, if we are making complaints about the story and how hooked we are into the story, that's a writing issue. If we're concerned a little like visually, like I'm not buying... Richard Madden and uh, and Gemma Chan as having that it factor, I feel like that falls into the the director slash cinematographer end. I would just refer you, Pete. Here you've made reference to you know it's ninety minutes in, blah blah blah. The the montage in Up is four and a half minutes, and we get an entire relationship. Now, if you want to say, well, that is your heart broken, yeah, right? <laughs> now, now, if you want to say that is one of the platinum standards of all time in all cinema, from any nation, any type of cinema, and it's unfair to compare that to anything. Okay. Also, people sat at a computer and made unreal faces. Uh, us somehow dig the fact that all of a sudden, you know, the cycle of meeting, marriage, death, and so forth, you know, you're crying before the thing is over and going, oh my goodness. 90 minutes into this movie, these two beautiful people, I'm still like, why why is the stark and and Gemma chan why don't do they not like each other did they ever like it what's going on so to summarize my thoughts here pete i i feel like this is a script problem this is a direction problem is it maybe a casting problem i don't know do you do you say no thanks richard madden i'm gonna go with joe schmo from the west end no do you say sorry Gemma chan um no she's far too talented and lovely she should be in everything in my opinion but something's not working here. You look at, and you mentioned particular films, Iron Man 2, uh, Thor, The Dark World. I would add to that uh, Avengers Ultron. They've been redeemed down the road. Um, so I think at this point in the podcast and discussing the narrative of this film, I, I really hope that that's the case. Because, you know, now we start 
having Eternals bumped off. We go to present day South Dakota and they find that Ajak is dead. So their leader is dead. And then um, Cersei gets the little uh, orb there that kind of makes her the de facto leader. So, hey, here comes another flashback, 1521 AD in uh, because they're almost done with wiping out the deviants, but there's still two hours remaining. Uh, Pete, I know when uh, the Greta Gerwig Little Women came out, there were some critics who had trouble following the two timelines, and then there were other people saying, hey, it's kind of weird that a lot of these male critics have trouble following the one timeline that's like present day colored or blue colored and the other timeline is kind of like rosy or red colored. Like, you know, that maybe it was like uh, you're being unfair critics. So Pete, maybe I'm about to be unfair. I don't know. I, I, I think I'm being pretty objective. It just felt, I understand the, how flashbacks work. I understand how multiple timelines work. I was surprised when, Salma Hayek's Ajax was killed off. And it's like, oh, well, now she's gone. And then we flash back and she's kind of back. But it it felt weirdly hollow, unlike many other times, you know, when we've seen similar things and you go, oh, that, you know, Lost comes to mind, although there's many other, many other options. Like, oh, that character's dead. Oh, it's all the more special now that we're getting them in a newly filmed flashback. Like, oh, I see what you're doing, story. It, it just felt... it. it it felt a bit numb yet again. And as you said, there are still two hours to go. I don't think it's a question of not being able to follow it, but I think what you said, the the hollow ringing of character dies, okay, unable to feel the weight of that character death, and guess they go back and explain that, you know, obviously Icarus took her from South Dakota to Alaska, had her murdered there, then brought her back to South Dakota. I mean, it just, it seems convoluted in a, in a film that stretches as long as it does. Um, and hence this, and yes, it's a comic creation, this mad weary that uh, Thena begins to suffer from at this point that eliminates her from the present day story because we've not yet brought her back into the team but all right so it's it's not your traditional team building film in that the team had been assembled and then was deconstructed and now is coming back together it's this is the marvel movie that you can't sit and explain to people like oh it's a guy in an iron suit and he's rich or it's a prince from another planet he has a magic hammer or this is a soldier who got a super serum like and i think therein lies its its problems i think part of the marvel formula is using humor to leaven other issues and i mean my goodness pete if you if we have the script for Guardians of the Galaxy in front of us, it should not work that you go, hey, a kid's mom dies of cancer in a mm-hmm. very, you know, 
um, uh, I don't say cleanly presented, but but you know, this is not that is not a comic book movie. That first scene, with the exception of final light shines, and he's you know he's taken away by aliens. But prior to that, I mean, this is as realistic, and you know, it it it's all of that terrible stuff. Then Pete, all they do is have a Marvel Studios logo, and magically, and then do a James Gunn needle drop, and you have Star Lord, you know, kicking little you know alien chickens around. And it's funny and fun again. I don't know. You know, just like with how how is it that the up um, montage works? I can describe it, but I can't explain why it's magical. Same thing. I don't know why that works there, but I know humor can do that, especially for these Marvel movies. When you get to present day Mumbai, when you see Kingo as this Bollywood star, um, the humor is there. Camille mm-hmm. Nanjiani, somebody with a comedy background as well. You're getting at least to my fairly uninitiated eyes when it comes to Bollywood, you're getting some, some authentic representation there in terms of that as a, as a cinema style and so forth. His humor is good. Um, his presentation is good. Again, I have to mention Pete, we've all heard the stories about how Camille Nanjiani went on this, you know, this, this diet and exercise and so on and so forth. He looks fantastic. Somehow though, it's not, I mean, his scenes work. But somehow it's like not leavening the whole product the way, again, in another movie, you go from kid watches his mom die from cancer, the end, things are terrible, to needle drop fun credits. You know, it's somehow somehow in Guardians of the Galaxy, the humor, I don't want to say undoes, but lets you move on. Here, there's this Bollywood bit, and I don't know if it's, is it is it introduced here where he's, uh, is this the same scene where it's, you know, he's he's assumed the role of his quote unquote father and so forth. And that's how he's been this this star for 100 years. Like, it's all fun. It's all really fun stuff. The introduction of his valet character, Karan, who's really fun and, you know, all right. So making a documentary, I I kind of hoped that would become more of a thing like that at the end of the film, like, Oh, here's the documentary of the Eternals or something like that. I I think what you're saying is greatly true. The idea of payoff. Um, and whereas gun, I mean, and Matt, just, just look what James Gunn has, has done in making, you know, okay. Two guardians films. He, uh, helps to direct the guardians in, um, you know, Avengers, Infinity War. Uh, what does he go on after? Obviously, the uh, you know social media pound of flesh and losing briefly. Uh, volume three of Guardians of the Galaxy. He goes on to make the Suicide Squad, which is as good as anything that DCEU has, and has now put out the first three episodes of Peacemaker, which are a, a ton of fun. And is now directing volume three of Guardians. I'm hopeful at some point uh, Star Wars will steal him away. Um, I just feel like the, the storytelling is just not up to snuff here. You, you, you've even identified these characters that work and are the most watchable in the film. And they're just not in it enough. Well, and I think... Since watching Suicide Squad, which I know we podcasted, I believe this bit of wisdom or perhaps faux wisdom I'm about to share. I think I got it from a YouTube video. Pete, maybe it was spontaneously born during our 
our Suicide Squad uh, podcast. But I, I was I, watching Peacemaker. I've been reflecting how James Gunn takes, you know, outlandish, ridiculous, otherworldly, whatever you want to call it, characters and gives them something that is so relatable to the audience. You know, for example, Pete, King Shark. What does King Shark want out of this world? Friends. Friends, right? And you go, oh. And Pete, and then that, that runs through his whole character. For example, when he almost accidentally or on purpose or whatever eats team members, he does he what's he doing? He's not knowing how to behave with people. Okay. He's pushing the people, he's pushing people away or trying to push people down his throat. He's pushing people away that he wishes he could get to know better. And you go, Oh, so like, oh, like I can sympathize. We all, we all want to get along with people, you know, or, uh, you know, pick a number of James Gunn characters uh, who, you know, have fractured relationships with, with a parent. You go, oh, I can, I'm not a hired assassin played by Idris Elba, but uh, I want to get along with my kid too. So Pete, I mean, take a spin here. I, I guess I know what Kingo wants in terms of the, the high life and celebrity and, and so on and so forth. Tell me what Gilgamesh wants in this world. Tell me what Droog wants in this world. What's the basic thing where I go, oh man, uh, you know, I want that too. That's really relatable too. Maybe I'm wrong, Pete. I feel like those things aren't there. And that's part of the reason I don't connect. Well, by the time, Matt, we've arrived in the Australian outback that Circe learns of the emergence because she's now the you know, uh, leader of the Eternals and this celestial cycle that they're caught up in. No, there is no Olympia, but there is this world forge that they're really robots that they're going to help bring about the destruction of the world that they have cared for and protected for 7,000 years. I mean, in a way, it it kind of feels like a slam at some of the hollow portions of this film. Um, yeah, I would agree. And it's also, I don't know this, these characters are so big and I understand that there needs to be a threat that is equal to that bigness, but you know, I mean, Again, I'm I'm just looking at this list I have on my wall of of recently released and upcoming um, Marvel stuff, and it's like, you know, Black Widow. What's the nugget there in the center? All right, it's that dinner table scene. It's it's family. Uh, why did No Way Home? What's one of the many reasons why No Way Home landed so well? Part of it is the the, the ending of the ending in terms of oh man, you know, spoiler alert here for the biggest movie of 2021 um you know now he had now he's completely alone in this world you kind of go i don't know that i don't know that spider powers are worth that but he had to put that on his shoulders like that i i understand the decision he made even though there's all these wacky things and time portals and so on and so forth all right this thing with the world forge and in a little while we're gonna have a giant guy waking up from the inside of the earth I guess that's the size of these characters in terms of their their story bigness, but can can I get a scene where somebody gets one of those Greek diner cups of coffee and connects with another person? Oh, I guess I can't in this movie. 
monolithic is really the word that comes to mind when I, I think of this film. And again, there are a couple characters I care about. I really, really like this cast. I just wish I could see them do more that's engaging. Uh, so away we go to the Amazon basin uh, where Druig is hanging out. The guy I liked the least to this point, but I guess that's, you know, a, a good performer uh, in Barry uh, Keoghan doing his job because ultimately we come around on him. Um, and this like really drawn out attack by deviants in which Gilgamesh dies and uh, Circe makes a tree. It, it does feel like a drawn out battle, um, which is weird because like, hey, I like action. Um Again, I'm kind of, you know, somewhat deconstructing here. Is it so drawn out because so many characters need their moments? Like, and I'm going to hand laser, and I'm going to this, and I'm going to that, and I'm going to speedster. Is that it? Like, you know, again, I think there's kind of this weird, um, it's this weird issue of, uh, of like, story size. Um you when you had referenced earlier, Pete, there's still two hours remaining. I mean, you step back and think the final act of Avengers Endgame is one hour long. You might say, well, it's predictable, right? It's a three hour movie, it's one third of it. Yeah, but like the final act, like when you sit and go, now the time has come, the fight, the battle, we're all gonna line up. You go, there's an hour left to this movie. It's because that is it happens to be the it's an hour's worth of story. That's how big it is. Here, this battle, is the battle as important as the time given to it? Eh, I don't know. Should I feel worse that Gilgamesh dies? Um, I think the story thinks I should. But Pete, with the loss of Gilgamesh, uh, it's been a while. Pete, we've been spending too uh, long a time in the present day of the story. Can you take us back to August 1945 in Hiroshima? And a scene I know that they actually had to argue to include uh, was on the chopping block. Um, and and maybe that's indicative of some of the larger issues to this story that um, Fastos and his desire to help uh, the inhabitants of Earth uh, develop technologically and now all right hey what's the worst thing humans have ever made the atom bomb um and obviously the site of its uh destruction and he and ajak to be discussing this which transitions i mean again both with um with kingo and with fastos and you know what do you know two of the three that get abducted at the end that we you know care so much about uh who who takes so long to join the body of the present day story um you know now we're in chicago where he and his husband have adopted a child um but i i feel like it's coming too late uh i really enjoyed the inclusion or first of all, i should say in terms of representation you know it's wonderful I would even argue, like, I think there is 
um, perhaps chemistry isn't the right word. I buy these two guys being married, being parents and so forth. It feels very, um, you know, it feels very relatable, feels well presented and so forth. Unlike, um, I don't know, unlike other, other things here. Um, I liked the line, you know, it's it, probably the funniest line in the movie is, oh, the, the table's made of, uh, you know, whatever. And it's, no, it's from Ikea. Here's the problem, Pete. You know me. I run spoiler free. Um, I saw that line a bunch in the trailers. So here's my takeaway. The funniest line from the movie made it into the trailer, which is kind of telling because... Uh, I don't know. It's not again. Where were all the other laughs? They weren't quite there. Um, well, I don't think we're watching this film for the laughs, though. But where the humor could help to better humanize this is a character that's already been humanized for us. Okay, he participated in this uh, colossal misuse of technology. What has he done? He's retreated to the suburbs of Chicago. He's settled down. Hey, how do we show that he's rejected technology largely? Uh, he's helping his son with a bike. Okay. Oh, hey, the uh, I think the follow-up to the vibranium joke is the, the laser off the window. And of course, you know, he's, he's used technology to uh, insulate his spouse and his child. Um, but again, you know, may maybe this is a place where you could have begun this tale. Uh, hey, we, we want to help uh, humans. We moved too fast. We needed to retreat from that instead of just, you know, mile post after mile post after mile post of these things. And now, Matt, let's go back to where we were in then Babylon, now Iraq. And we still haven't even brought in Macari to the body of the main narrative. Well, if we could stick a pin in that for just one second, I will point out that the um, that this film was not released in many countries in the Middle East due to the depiction of a gay couple. Um, some theaters in the United Arab Emirates, Jordan, Lebanon, and Egypt had, maybe not some theaters, the theaters in those countries had an edited version of the film without the love scenes. Um, Wikipedia is saying missing all the love scenes. So maybe that's, that's um, gay and straight and whatnot, I guess. So a, I mean, shame on all of them, right? That's, that's, I mean, we, we know we live in a world where such prejudice uh, occurs credit to marvel to make this movie um and i would i would hate to be the one that says all right i'm i'm finally green lighting the special lebanon cut where we get rid of this and that the other but maybe pete here's my larger point maybe part of the reason that this most relatable um view of the eternals in terms of a couple with a child the, the the one laying down his his uh, metaphorical sword, laying down his powers, and and focusing on focusing on love and life and things of that sort. Here's maybe one reason why it can't be the frame device for the whole movie, despite the fact that it might have made for a better movie, uh, because you and whoever the you is, the writers, the producers, the studio, I don't know, but 
there's a problem if you need to have the frame device taken out versus like, oh man, meanwhile, in the country of Jordan, they don't go to Chicago and instead they go from uh, Hiroshima to the Domo reunion. Again, I I don't know what the right answer is in terms of do you stick to your guns? Do you never include? I mean, obviously the answer is not to never include these things, but do you do so in a way so the scenes can come out if they need to? So you get some kind of product out there. I don't know what the right answer is, but maybe Pete, that's why the frame device was never was never going to happen because you then couldn't untangle this movie from that depiction. Which Pete, if the if the Chicago home life edit, or if, if that's what would have improved this movie, you know, then we're all poorer for it. If if they couldn't do that in order to get a product out there worldwide. So once we've got them all back together, except of course Ajax, who has died, and Gilgamesh, uh, so because so, that's the thing, they're only all together in one scene in the very beginning. Um, now it's time to flash back to six days ago in South Dakota. All right. And, you know, Chloe Zhao and Nomadland and South Dakota. Okay. Even though they didn't really shoot in South Dakota. Um, and the discussion there between uh, Ajak and Icarus and then him uh, whisking her to Alaska where he can ambush her with deviance because it was Icarus all along. And I, I don't know, Pete, I have thoughts. First is, you know, I know I'm oft one to point out the Marvel um, tool to go, oh, the friend we had in the first half becomes the enemy in the second half. Uh, so I guess on the one hand, with that in mind, I wasn't super surprised that a goodie became a baddie. Um, hey, Marvel, maybe you want to look at that as a trope. Flip side is, you know, a lot of these Marvel movies are built on the tropes and they feel familiar and it's like, oh, welcome home, new thing. Are you, I, there's a spot for you because I know what to expect out of a Marvel movie. So I don't know what's baby and what's bathwater. Maybe if I, I don't know, Pete, I don't know why I feel so cool to the character of Icarus, but the reveal that he was a baddie was not as thrilling as other goodies turned baddies that I've seen from marvel studios this year whether it's agatha whether it's um u.s agent uh and you know and on and on like it just it just didn't land for me and i don't i don't know what the one two three story recipe reason is but it's yet another example in this film of you know this is kind of me like it, i'm transporting myself to the movie theater as i watch this at home saying if I was in a movie theater and I wasn't going to be podcasting this, would I get up and leave? Um, is it is it a Have better you situation? Have ever left a movie? Have I ever left a movie? I feel like I must have, but I off the top of my head, I don't recall. I know that the first movie I ever said, I'm walking out to go use the bathroom right now. I don't care about what the climax battle is, uh, was Superman Returns, which was pretty telling in and of itself. <laughs> Um, I never walked out of a film. I can tell you the film we almost walked out of was the thin red line. And we just kept saying, all right, it's, it's, it's going to kick in. There's all these stars in it. And maybe yeah. that's a really good comparison for this, for me, 
because you're you're so expectant because of the star power and Matt on paper. This is a really impressive cast. I just wish when they were together, it was a little bit more fun and exciting. And yeah, like multiple Oscar, multiple Oscar winner for directing and writing. I I think she got a writing, uh, screenwriting, uh, uh, Oscar for, for Nomadland, but regardless, multiple Oscar winner directs all-star cast in which, uh you know diversity is a is a key but subtle part to it you know it's not like oh they come together to fight you know racism and homophobia and whatnot but their diversity is part and parcel with who they are um and the the, none of them are like what you mean maybe me if i get the space radiation i can have powers they're all you know no i am empowered and as i view the world whether it's you know orientation or gender race or so forth they're all kind of powered from the from the get-go it just, you know, it just isn't, it, it's not working. Somehow it's not working. So as I understand it, the big idea is that they're going to connect their brains with this Unimind thing and Fastos does a bracelet. And then even where the film has let you know where you are and when you are, where's the emergence happening? Well, it's in the present day. And it's in the Pacific. Yeah, and it... I don't know. Again, in terms of story size, like, fine, this giant thing is coming out of the Earth. I just I just found myself sitting there saying, like, so it's always been there, and nobody's ever noticed it? Like, nobody with, like, I don't know, you know, iron suit around the world scans, or none of that stuff, or, like... You know, the Milano comes to Earth and doesn't, on the way in for space radar tracking, go, hey, there's a giant guy under the ground. Like, this portion of the movie feels like it somehow is not part of the MCU. Meanwhile, it's on the same Earth that most of these movies have been on. And I don't know how that is. I do know that the fight, the whole thing feels like it's going on and on. And we have dueling fights. There's one on the beach and one farther up the coast and it's just it it again feels muddy yet again pete maybe i was in a bad mood at this point but this is when i was really also saying to myself i don't like these costumes and and maybe this is petty or maybe i i don't know but i just i kept feeling like they're all dressed in these like primary colors and i feel like there's not a lot of nuance to them um Again, I don't know if that's a tangent worth exploring, but I know that I just maybe I was just to, to stop myself from rolling my eyes. I was just staring at the costumes, but but that was on my mind, too. I mean, I dig the texture and that they follow through the the gold um, with all those. And OK, so each of them has a color and everything like that. I, I just feel like there's a larger identity issue plaguing this film and again how much it has to serve so that by the end of this kind of incomprehensible fight in which a massive hand and a head are now emerging from the planet something that you know we're definitely going to talk about moving forward uh so that icarus flies into the sun 
Well, Pete, that's because Superman is solar power. Oh, wait, this still isn't Superman. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I, so, yeah. So he's gone, I guess. Um, and then that's the his character who liked him that we kind of care about because we can feel where, you know, she wants connection and she feels love that she wants to be made human after 7,000 years. Oh, okay. Is that going to be something we pick back up on in the MCU? Maybe. Um, there's still more story to go. Then we end up two weeks later back in, in South Dakota. Um, Pete, What's the import of this scene here in South Dakota? I mean, really kind of a goodbye to the team as a whole that remains. Um, and okay, so Fastos and his child and then Dena loses her babysitting rights. I mean, there's there's some cute stuff and Jolie and, um, you know, uh, Brian, Tyree, Henry, you know, when they're on the screen, they're great. But again, I, I just think it's the cumulative effect of of all of what we've watched where we're kind of like, all right, <laughs> but, but, but where do we go? And then we still have some more denseness, Matt, here towards the end, conceivably long-term setup. Yeah, in I'm looking at these notes, going, "Wait, wasn't this a wasn't this a credit scene? No, it's the it's the body of the movie still, where Dane is about to tell a secret about his family history, and I don't know, Pete. I don't know if I mean just just to pause the narrative for a second. I definitely do remember seeing the first Avengers movie, seeing Thanos and being like, wait, who's this guy? I need to look it up. So I'm not saying I'm the end all and be all for the fountain of knowledge when it comes and to all these things. And we've had Celestials before with Ego and Peter Quill is half Celestial. Uh, so it's not even that that stuff is new. Like, I wonder, too, if the story would have been better served. You know, did they have to fight off? Was it? well, you can't really bring in any guardians. So why even mention them or anything like that? It just, again, so painfully self-important rather than I think what Marvel does best at its self-deprecation. And I feel like there's so much going on in this scene too. I'm thinking of not even rumors, just I, I think the fan want that when when the X-Men finally get rolled into the MCU, I really, really genuinely believe the place to start would be a Disney plus series called, you know, Xavier's Academy or something like that. And just start small, you know, start with here's them putting the, putting the Academy together. Here's, you know, you don't get, I don't know. You don't get Cyclops till episode two. You don't get, you know, Wolverine at all, or maybe in the in, in the in a post credit scene at the end of it, like that, you know, earn that X Men movie. Same thing here. I, I would have killed for, and I don't know what the proper form would be, but I would have killed for, you know, the the, the Star Trek short treks. I I would have killed for the short treks 
to lead into this? What would that look like? Pete, I don't know. I'm not an Oscar-winning writer, uh, Oscar-nominated director, Oscar-winning uh, director, editor, blah, 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 blah. But I feel like when Dane shows up, it's like, oh, wait, right, that's the other guy from Game of Thrones who was in this earlier, and, and, and now he's back. Um, and I felt like we had a satisfaction. I felt like this was a good place to hand things off to, you know, the adventure continues. Then all of a sudden Cersei is, a, is abducted and, and people are on the move and I'm supposed to care, but I'm not caring, but I know that in a little bit, the credits are going to start and there's going to be more things for me to care about. So Pete, do we navigate through this scene? Do we move on to the mid credit scenes? Where do you want to go next? Well, that Arishem takes Cersei, Kingo, and Fastos and says he will return for judgment. He's going to let Earth continue to exist, though they've involved themselves in its affairs and not allowed the emergence to happen. Uh, Tiamat is uh, dead, turned to stone by Cersei. Um and then to come back from that, Dane uh, not with Cersei, and obviously the world has now seen Arishem, something that should ripple through the MCU on top of this enormous stone figure in the Pacific. So the mid credit scene here, we're told weeks later on the Domo in space, where Thena, Makari, and Druig uh, have left to go find uh, the the missing Eternals when uh, they sense uh, something happening. And then uh, Pip coming through to announce uh, the Royal Prince of Titan, the brother of Thanos, the knave of hearts, the defeater of Black Roger. This is Eros, a.k.a. Star Fox of Mystery Planet, played by Harry Styles. Um, Pip, of course, voiced by Pat Oswalt, uh, not new to the Marvel universe. No, he, of course, uh, having played <laughs> many roles, sometimes brothers slash clones, uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, I feel like the Pip animation was not great, and I, it was this constant, you know, tug of war, like, Am I just grouchy at the movie? But I, I feel like the animation was not great. I even would say, Pete, look, I got, I have no great loyalty to Harry Styles. I also got no beef against Harry Styles. He shows up and it's like, and Harry Styles as Harry Styles in Marvel Presents Harry Styles. It just kind of felt like, oh, great. Now, like, I, I'm supposed to be excited about the next thing, but I'm not. And then I'm back and forth in my head. You know, is that because Harry Styles is outside my age demographic? Okay, maybe. Is that because I'm in the somewhat unique position MCU-wise in terms of, like, I have no idea who this character is versus, like, you know, the last time I felt that way was when Thanos showed up and I had plenty of time to, in the next one when he showed up a tiny bit and, and so on and so forth where I kind of don't remember what it's like saying, what? Can't wait to find out what that is in two years. Um, but again, it kind of didn't land for me. I think we've been so fortunate with all the storytelling that's gone on and occasionally it's not going to all coalesce. And again, there's just so much that even for 
people that keep up on this is difficult to access. Um, so now the post credit scene where Dane has floated, there's something with his family history he's not been truthful about. So he opens this box that says death is not, or death is my reward that contains a sword. Uh, and then you only know it because you go and you look it up that that's Mahershala Ali's voice, the already cast blade, yet another actor who's already been in the MCU, uh, who asks him, are you sure you're ready for that? Mr. Whitman. Here's why I think this scene doesn't quite land. I think I can articulate this one. Oh man, Pete, one of the most famous, you know, actors circa age 30 or so. Not quite sure how old Kit Harrington is at this point, but a uh, little Wikipedia I'm sure could tell us quickly. Uh, but one of the most famous younger people, uh, he's 35, famous young, one of the most famous young actor folk in the world, hardly had a role in this movie. Oh wait, it was all set up for the future. Okay. Like, that's why that didn't land for me, because he's not really in this movie to be in this movie. He's in this movie to be in the next movie. And I can see all the machinations there. Series? Well, there's a lot of speculation he's going to pop up in Moon Knight. Uh, well, I, and again, maybe this is something like, you know, again, I always return to Iron Man 2, as I mentioned before. Sometimes this stuff gets better over time because of how it's contextualized and so forth. And if that's the case, great. If Kit Harrington is going to show up on Disney Plus in March, April, and May, uh, when it's expected Moon Knight will come out at the end of March and so forth, great. And I'm going to sit and go, Pete, I was wrong. All right, he's back. Kit Harrington with his second major, you know, just just epic character for TV, and it's it it's it's all there. Um until then, it's like, okay, you're setting up something for the future. And again, I don't fault Marvel for, you know, it doesn't always need to be things where you're like, oh, I'm in the know, or oh, I recognize who that person is, or oh, look, it's the Hulk who's come to talk to him. Um, it doesn't always need to be that way. Indeed, mix it up. But I was just exhausted at this point. I really was. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. We begin, Matt, with exposition. Yeah. A lot of characters that need to get rolled out in a lot of... In a, what felt like a lot of time. Um, exposition is the biggest villain in this movie. Because I don't know that any of this exposition ever really, really lands. Um, and again, you know, there's other examples... You know, Loki is this beloved character, and prior to the Loki series, I know we talked about this stat that somebody else had done the calculations of. You know, he's in 45 minutes of stuff prior to his own series. Like, in 10 years, he's in 45 minutes of stuff. Why is he beloved? Actor plus writing plus story, it all lands where, you know, in a handful of scenes in the first Thor movie, boom, we're ready for him to be the the big bad of the Avengers movie. Um, here a lot of talk. It doesn't all land. But Pete, who's next on the list? Maybe somebody a, a little less villainous than the screenwriters. The deviance here, I I feel like there's a lot of 
the DC minion type of threat present. I mean, again, they there's a leader, but you, you've got to really dive to know that Crow, voiced by Bill Skarsgård, uh, is their leader. And, and yes, Thena, you know, kills him at the end there. But as compelling as you want your heroes to be, you expect a villain to be that way. And, and yes, is he the primary villain? He is not. Uh, they are but patsies. So they gave one of the patsies uh, a, a name and we were made to think they were really the big threat when all along it was us. Icarus revealed to have done bad things. I just keep thinking of how I never thought about Richard Madden's acting in Game of Thrones. Uh, I feel like I've seen him in a couple of things since then, but I've never stopped to think about his acting. Meanwhile, in this movie, I would describe his acting as cold smoldering, um, which might seem like opposites, and maybe because because they are opposites, it's maybe why it's not landing, but it's like, yeah, Pete, he does bad things while looking handsome and vaguely disengaged from those he is hurting. Am I one of those people he's hurting? I'm not quite sure. I want to care about his character. I just, and I know he's been good in other things. The Red Wedding, you you feel it. (laughs) You you feel the loss. Um, Maybe they needed to spend more time with the fact that he never got to know his parents. The planet was about to be destroyed. (laughs) They put him on a rocket ship and they hoped that he would find parents that could love him in his new home as much as his planets on uh, his parents on planet Krypton. Just where, where was that scene? Well, at least they didn't try to shoehorn at the very end where he got a journalism job, you know, just by walking in. <laughs> uh, Pete Arisham, uh, a villain who abducts some of our heroes at the end. Um, perhaps the foundation of a possible sequel more on the possible in a little bit, but Pete, what would you like to say about Arishem? I, I think the thing with both Arishem and, and Tiamat here, the idea that these impossibly large celestials, even down to the design. Now they are not of the same species as a Galactus, but you know, very clearly with the, the headdress thing going on there meant to be evocative of. And I think that's the thing. It's, it's the tantalizing nature of, Oh, does this lead to that? Cause we're all waiting for <clears throat> after the, the multiverse, what with fantastic four coming. All right. Uh, you know, Galactus, you know, uh, consumer of, of worlds and uh, you know, silver surfer and everything that could be done on, you know, such an enormous scale. But if it if it's going to be like this, I think maybe we're kind of like, no. Well, Pete, I think that speaks to the wisdom of keeping the team small, keeping the team nimble. Uh, indeed, everyone who supports us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek is supporting the just you and the just me in terms of making all the podcasts bleeps and bloops and so forth go and uh, 
Pete, if we were to multiply by five into a podcasting team of 10, uh, I don't think that we would be five times as great. So thank you to all those on Patreon who do support our, our modest little operation here. I mean, speak for yourself, modest, Matt, in terms of the way it's exploded over, you know, the just the last year alone we were talking uh, yesterday uh, with the, the the support that we've gotten. So I think people know who they're dealing with. They've they've seen the ability to which we can create this content and, uh, you know, out here feeding this thirst for it uh, or at least attempting to. So get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek with the PH all one word, all sorts of levels to pick from to contribute uh, at, but just a dollar a month is going to get you in that door. Uh, More than 75 individual things for you to check out. And we're, you know, adding to that month by month. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. And Matt, who knew that Jon Snow and Rob Stark both loved Cersei? Pete, I would like to unironically state there were times in this movie that I confused the two of them. Now, is that because I watched them in Game of Thrones? Okay, maybe. Is that because maybe I wasn't fully engaged and is that my fault or is that the movie's fault? You know, blah, blah, blah. But... I know both of their faces really well, and I probably shouldn't be confused who they are, and I was, and that wasn't because I was watching while on my phone, while doing other things, while painting the wall. Like, it was not for a lack of me giving this the same care and focus that any show that I, you know, I'm invested in, a movie I'm invested in, let alone like, hey, even if I'm not loving this, Got to, got to give the A game for the podcast here. Um, so, yeah, there were times I confused the two of them. I, again, I don't know if that's what happens when you cast Game of Thrones brothers or or what. I mean, I think they're both a get in terms of the work that they've done. Um, might it have been a, a thing to hold back Kit Harrington till the end of the film? But then I suppose... You've got the two of them. They played brothers on this, you know, TV changing genre series. I, I guess it's too much to to try to resist. Um, we don't understand, Matt, what the ultimate fallout in the timeline is going to be from what happened with Tiamat. But clearly this is the furthest out since it's not been referenced in Spider-Man No Way Home or Hawkeye, or any of the most recent outings that have come after it. Yeah, this film, I think I can can say objectively, this film is oddly, uh, oddly disconnected from the rest of the MCU. You know, there aren't those little things like, you know, oh... You're so rich, you could own Stark Tower, you know, which is a lousy example of that. But uh, I was thinking all Spider-Man Daily Bugle stuff, which would have its own challenge to be in a non-Spider-Man movie. But just point being, you're right. You know, unlike say Hawkeye, where we get passing reference to the 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 new look of the Statue of Liberty, only to find out, oh, that is a connection to uh, to uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. There's kind of none of that here. I would agree with you. 
Similarly, none of the other properties have said, oh man, that giant stone guy in the Pacific. Um, I know that so much care, I feel like so much care was taken in the the first 10 years of the MCU with some mistakes here and there, eight years later looking at you, but so much care was taken to having a, having a clear and clean timeline. And there's been a concerted effort to move away from that. And I think that's okay because you follow the story where it needs to go. Um, but how does this factor into other things? When will other properties reference it? I mean, how about this, Pete? I'll echo what you said before. How about in Moon Knight? In Moon Knight, they're going to be like, oh man, first there was these stone guys and now there's this other guy who's like the Moon Knight guy. Maybe that's where it'll happen. Where did Circe, Kingo, and Fastos go? Uh, they went into the next story iteration <laughs> of Eternals, which I would like to discuss either either right now, talk about what's... Talk about the Eternals will return, or if you want to save that, then I'll save the rest of my answer for then. But they well, went we're told through. they will return. The question is when. Uh, an additional question, at least right now, given this story, could be why. And then which Eternals will return? Will, will they all? And I believe you may have an answer to some of that. I firmly believe that sober-minded people at Marvel and Disney have have reached a conclusion, which is that the company dodged a bullet by being able to hide the poor box office of this movie in the 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 world of COVID. Um, and, and you need to look no further than the fact that what, six weeks, five weeks after this came out, Spider-Man No Way Home exploded in the box office. I would even argue, Pete, exploded at a point where, you know, like, probably the Spider-Man numbers are low on account of COVID. Um, so I would bet, Pete, I would bet one space credit here that Eternals 2 does not get made. Um, I would bet that when the Eternals return... Um, It'll be in some sort of mashup, mix-up kind of thing, a la Hulk 2 is Thor 3, uh, and, and things of that sort, a la, you know, spoiler alert, the Guardians of the Galaxy show up in Thor 4 before Guardians 3, you know, and, and things of that sort. I think that there's got to be studio people, you know, whether they're the the the, the imagined, if not real, uh, you know, the, the accountants who don't care about story and things of that sort, who can be a drain to the creative process or just legit creative people uh, in the Marvel Disney world saying it does not make sense to make Eternals two, scrap it, move it around so on and so forth. Hey, they could say we've had success with that in the past, whether it's, you know, the Boba Fett movie. All right. Going to put that away and heavily, heavily rework that idea into uh, what now is three seasons of television across two different characters and so forth. Can I make the argument that there would never have been an Eternals 2? Um, sure. I'd be real interested to hear what that argument is because I, I know that we've seen, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp will return, question mark. Oh man, because of Endgame and the snap. Like I know that just because they say it at the end, it doesn't mean sequel to the movie you just saw is coming. 
but I feel like saying the eternal, like Pete, if you put me in charge of, if I'm somewhere in the, in the, the hierarchy of Disney and Marvel, I would have said, take that out, take out the Eternals will return. Um, so Pete, tell me why I'm wrong. Spoiler Pete, do it again. Only because, you know, which, which come back. All right. We, we know that, uh, Kingo and, and Fastos really kind of break out characters here obviously Cersei as the lead and again I think we both enjoy Gemma Chan I just don't know that the the character other than you know the act that she has to uh you know uh do to save the world that we're not really you know endeared to her um you know I think you pick and choose which that you bring back. I think we would really like to see Macari again. Uh, hey, Druig, not so fast. <laughs> Although we come around on him and he's associated with her. Angelina Jolie, I think we, we'd always take and, you know, overdue in her uh, introduction to the MCU. So I, I think perhaps an abridged roster showing up in another property, if not, you know, a, a Guardian's secret scene or maybe some Fantastic Four stuff, whatever it might be, maybe a Disney Plus series where they, they pop in and there's some connection, but I, I don't think on their own. I, I don't think that may have ever been the plan. Pete, I feel like though you have disagreed with me slightly i feel like we're both on the same page in terms of the eternals will not return the way they maybe the way the movie wanted us to think at the end of this movie but matt did we see the death star and the ten rings in the credits um i don't think so there what do you are mean? uh icons in the uh the credit sequence that look a lot like those two things i think the ten rings makes a lot of sense we know that they contain some sort of um otherworldly beacon uh but you know are are we moving closer pat Oswalt voices <laughs> uh pip the troll we have since had the book of boba fett and pat Oswalt's uh famed Parks and Recreation filibuster, at least part of it, has now become true. Is is there more coming? Pete, if you are suggesting that maybe the introduction of the X-Men could be with the uh with the jet flying through space chasing Luke Skywalker's X-Wing, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Pete, when that day comes, I will wonder with the, about the state of things. Until then, I guess all all hope springs eternal. Let's check the wire. Pete, we have our Twitter poll in which the choices were this. Um, one stop sign, this is not a good film, got 11.7%. Two, hmm, emoji, one view and done, got 33.3%. Uh, three, smiling suns, great addition, got 46.7%. And, uh, Four uh, Infinity Signs rewatch forever got eight point three percent. So I would say that's this is definitely lower. You know, th though the biggest vote was for a three out of four, this is definitely a much lower rated uh, poll than we normally get. In so far as 
who knows how scientific that is or whatnot. Uh, Pete, some replies. First one from Bike BRH. That is, of course, Bike BRH on Twitter. This is just not good. I'm on my second shift of watching this movie, and I'm only a little more than halfway through because I keep falling asleep. I'm a completist, so I'll finish it, but this is dire. Uh, Pete, we heard from Calvin Was Right. That's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Saw it in the theater, but we'll be re-watching tomorrow with my daughter. I'm sure there will be additional viewings in the future. There you go, Pete. Upbeat there. Uh, we heard from Darren Bell. That's at Darren B4605259. Uh, I enjoyed the action scenes and liked the characters. Just felt the story wasn't great, and it didn't feel uh, linked to the MCU. Feel like they could have made it more obvious who spoke to Dane in the second post-credit scene, as I only found out who it was after googling the answer. That's that's an interesting thought, Pete. We all heard these stories of like you know, ooh, change the ending and it it impacts your entire two and a half hour movie experience and so forth. If Blade walked out, if if Mahershala Ali Blade walked out and said whatever the line is, uh, you sure you're ready for that? And there he was in sunglasses and swords and whatnot. Right. Right. What would that uplift have done? I don't know, but Darren I, I has me wondering. It'd be better. It'd be better. <laughs> and, and again, that we don't know the scope, and and that's truly the risk in doing this. Okay, so what's the upshot? That now we know that that Blade has this involvement and this connection with what's going on with uh, with Dane, um, but. Yeah, I think it would have made it a whole lot clearer. I think you would have had, obviously, that sizzle of an Oscar award-winning, you know, actor to step out and, all right, here I am. And, you know, they might not even have the design of the, the character's outfit down yet, given that his film doesn't have a date. Hey, tight close-up, vampire fangs. Anyhow, uh, we heard from J Philly B. That's at J Philly B for fandom. Watched for the first time this morning and really enjoyed it, but I have a lot of questions and need to absorb it a bit before I can think about a rewatch. Uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln, that's at Tess LC139, says, I haven't watched it since it premiered in the theater. It's a really great movie, and I enjoyed it a lot. I think it was too deep for some MCU fans and audiences to absorb, and I didn't think uh, and it didn't have the swashbuckling fun of Guardians of the Galaxy. Still, I think Eternals could be a great foundation for the MCU. Uh, and I have Disney+, Plus, so I've had lots of opportunity to rewatch it. Gilgamesh was one of my faves, and I liked all the dynamics between the different Eternals. Star Fox's appearance at the end was great, and I'd be happy when the MCU finally gets Dane Whitman's Black Knight. We heard from Brian S. that's at Brian uh, Ono uh, on Twitter. While I won't uh, be doing a lot of rewatches just because the length I definitely enjoyed the movie this one will get more popular now that people can watch at home uh, next up we heard from Marion Kelly that's at Marion E.D. Kelly on Twitter I watched it for the first time yesterday and, all, and I'm already looking forward to watching it again when I get uh, to when I get to it in my timeline order MCU rewatch and again Pete you're recommending it's now it's currently at the very end that's your recommendation I mean given the magnitude of what we saw at the end it, it has to be right i would think so uh next up is the delightfully named snow goggles who says hey fantastic team we lowered our expectations so much that this uh became a good movie that's a, that's an interesting statement right there pete uh that said it was still long and slow so rewatches might come with a nap 
Even more new characters in the cutscene help with hashtag it's all connected, but don't inspire a need to watch the film again. Next up is Jordan Tanner. That's at mighty underscore Jor. I adore this film. I think it is top tier MCU. Most audiences seem to really like it. The critic score confuses me. Was there a domino effect of negative reviews? The cinematography uh, and real world shooting locations make for a beautiful film. Great work by Chloe Zhao. Uh, Jordan shared some pictures there, landscapes, fire, and so forth. Uh, Jordan goes on to say, this feels like an epic, uh, almost like a novel brought to the screen. I enjoy the characters and their complexities. Makari is the best speedster we've seen on screen. The Celestials are amazing, and I love the lore this movie created. I put it in my top five MCU. Uh, Lastly, Jordan says, finally, wasn't the score so good? Did you notice uh, they used the organ similar to Interstellar? It created a sense of awe and grandeur for the scope of this story. The Eternals theme is very epic. I find this extremely rewatchable. I've rewatched it twice since it hit uh, Disney+. Plus. So, Pete, we've had all sorts of uh, views in our uh, feedback here. Jordan, clearly the most enthusiastic. And again, I'm glad that people are enjoying it. And, I, you know, that comment that was made before, very interesting to look at in its, you know, totality. Um, and as we've discussed, does this get uh, enhanced by future projects and looked back at with different eyes i i think it's definitely a possibility but i'm glad to hear that people enjoyed it i just think we have such a high bar with the marvel cinematic universe and you know the the level of cohesion and connection only enhances that what feedback do you have on facebook Steve Adams writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. Overall, I enjoyed Eternals, even if it doesn't make my short list of best MCU movies. Its biggest weakness was that it lacked the Avengers initiative. What I mean is that we had a team of 10 members and nobody knew who they were before this movie came out. If there had been some kind of prequel to set this up, I think it would have fared better with critics. Instead, we have a two and a half hour movie uh, that was heavy on exposition. Again, not bad, but it could have been so much better. Until next time, stay fantastic. And as always, Matt, he spelled out with a PH. Steve, very even handed in his uh, reaction there. I do wonder, Pete, you know, what's the what's the difference? Is there a difference in watching I'll say specifically this movie, but I'm trying to connect it to a larger point. When you when you buy your ticket for your particular showing and you, you select the seat, if that's the kind of theater that you're going to, and it's the night out, is that different than, you know, hey, I'm excited to see this movie or I'm seeing it with fresh eyes or, or, or I've never, you know, point being like, I've never seen it before. I'm at home. I'm in my Jimmy Jammies. Anytime I want to stop to go to the bathroom, I can. Anytime I want to stop for snacks, I can. I wonder if that, I wonder if that impacts. And that's not, you know, I'm not trying to say because Steve was too enthusiastic and he watched it at home on his couch versus, you know, critics who had to watch it in the movie theater. Just a general, you know, seeing as how there, there there's some different points of view on this movie. Seems like you and I were maybe not as enthusiastic about it as some of our listeners. Um, I just wonder if where and when in general can have an impact on such a thing. 
But Pete, where and when can someone get in touch with you on the Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,375 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me touch the podcast comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Now, for those listening on the Pop Culture podcast feed, I know in the next week we will be talking about the Hawkeye Marvel Assembled, which weirdly didn't come out this past week or earlier. I'm not quite sure what that decision was, Um, but it will be out this upcoming week. So one more visit to the Hawkeye end of things, continuing podcasting Boba Fett this upcoming weekend. Uh, If you're listening on the Marvel movie podcast feed, Pete, there it is, well off on the calendar may 6th of this year is when doctor strange 2 comes out so clearly some mcu oriented shows before that is a safe assumption more uh with the moon Knight preview tonight um but certainly if you're here just for the movies it will be springtime in the air when next i think we talk about marvel movies for now though i will say adios to all the listeners and give you pete the final eternals word always bring practice.